You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. Gabaton to come up, and Anthony, uh, I want to introduce Anthony. Anthony is a dear friend and colleague in ministry, um, destroys me in chess, and it's very, very humbling. So there's that. Uh, Anthony is a graduate of Union Seminary in New York, also Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia at Emory University. So we're all outdone here. So chess and theological study. And not only that, but Anthony is also soon to head up to Northern Virginia to continue in his process of ordination in the Episcopal Church. And uh, before he leaves, he is gracing us with his presence and with his prophetic voice. And um, over the last three years, Anthony has been a resident at Richmond Hill, which is a spiritual community in the heart of Richmond for the spiritual revival of the city. Uh, So... With all that said, Anthony, it is a gift to welcome you and a gift to get to hear you. So thank you so much. Take it away. Thanks for having me. Mike, check. Can you hear me? Yeah. Cool. Can I use this? It's going to be the only time I could actually preach from a, <laughs> from a stool. Um, this is really humbling to uh, be the first voice in the series that you guys are doing, so I'm really eternally grateful, um, Co-Pastor Steve and, of course, Drew, for... Um, for this invitation. Um, I guess I should say a little bit about myself. So I grew up Catholic 13 years, and then my mother converted the family to Pentecostalism, so went from masses to speaking in tongues. (laughs) Then I went to Oral Roberts University, which is a pretty conservative uh, school out in Oklahoma, left agnostic, moved to New York, and kind of did my thing out there until I realized I went a little too far from um, the bathwater, as they say. So anyways, went back to church, this time the Baptist church, became a Baptist minister, did that for a couple years, didn't feel it was a good fit, so ended up uh, going through a divorce, which sucked, and then uh, moved to Atlanta, and when I was there, started looking into Buddhism, started getting into yoga, and then ended up moving back here and found my way to Richmond Hill and the Episcopal Church. So anyways, from that, you will see that you'll either end up atheist or an Episcopalian (laughs) if you go searching too far. (laughs) Um, So I say that, though, to say that I'm not sure if this is going to be a stereotypical Episcopalian message, right? I have a lot of background, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. If you'll pray with me. Spirit of the living God, thank you for this morning that wasn't promised to us that some people aren't seeing or are seeing in conditions way worse than ours, and for that we are grateful. We know that your spirit is here. I pray that you'll continue to move and open our ears, open my mouth. Let the two mold together in beautiful symphony and harmony. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. I'm nothing without you, but with you we are everything. In your name we pray, amen. I remember when I was in seminary in New York, and uh, one of my favorite professors, he referenced this passage, and he used a scripture that was read to point out, one, it's not a sermon or not a scripture that we hear sermonized on Sundays, and it shows how radical God is and how at times God will ask us to do other things that people might not necessarily understand. 
One of the reasons I chose this passage is not only because it's in the lectionary, but because it challenges our fundamental understanding of God. For those of us who are more conservative, the passage is troubling because of the overt sexual connotation. It's kind of hard to think that God would ask one of his prophets to marry a prostitute. And so what some scholars do with that is they say, oh, it didn't really happen. It was just symbolic. Or what others say, these are scholars, they'll say, well, she didn't really engage in prostitution. She only dressed as a prostitute. For those of us who are more liberal, on the other hand, you'll recognize that even the language is disturbing. The term prostitute and harlot, we don't use those terms anymore, right? We use the title sex worker to show the humanity and the dignity of women in the sex industry, an industry that often degrades the women and punishes them, while the men who seek their sexual services go away scotch-free. Not only that, but this passage displays a patriarchal God, one who uses Gomer as an example, right? So he has Gomer, her children, just to show the Israelites how it feels to be cheated on. That type of behavior makes God seem narcissistic, self-absorbed. No matter how your perspective is on this scripture, the common ground is God is asking Hosea to do something that is completely unorthodox something new and different, something that will bring him judgment, curiosity, ridicule. And in many ways, that's what happened with Jesus, right? God has this plan. It's really not the best plan. Jesus is going to hang out with sinners, right? He's breaking all these religious rules. All the religious people are getting mad at him. He's going around telling people he's the son of God. If you follow him, you too could be a child of God. <laughs> Spoiler alert, this doesn't end too well. Of course, Jesus gets crucified, his body goes missing. People say that, or specifically his followers say that he's risen from the dead and then his followers get executed. And because of that, the world has never been the same 2,000 years later. All because one person chose to follow what he believed was the voice of God. Most theologians, biblical scholars, and preachers recognize that Jesus' intention was not to set up a religion. It doesn't matter if you're the intellectual type and you say, well, Emperor Constantine came up with this state-sanctioned religion called Christianity, or if you say, well, it's not about religion, it's about relationship, those two voices are saying the same thing. And it's the recognition that the essence of Christianity transcends the institution of the religion. Jesus didn't come up to set up a religion. He came to set up the church. And you don't even need a building if you want to have church. If you have two or three gathered in the spirit of Christ, their Christ is in the midst of them. Amen? Amen. 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 So I think an appropriate question would be, at least for myself, well, why am I even Christian? Why are you Christian? Why is anybody Christian nowadays? In Sojourner's Magazine, there's an article called The Great Pastoral Resignation by Peter Chen. And he writes, quote, Americans in general are less interested in organized religion than ever before. Studies are unanimous, whether measuring church attendance or membership or other factors. There aren't just fewer pastors. There are fewer people who are interested in organized religion. 
However, if I'm honest, I don't necessarily need this article to shed light. All I have to do is look at my friends and look at family members that I know that are around my age. None of them are really going to church. That doesn't mean they're necessarily atheists, right? They're finding spirituality in places like nature, yoga, African indigenous spirituality. Um, some are finding in psychedelics. And to be honest, I can relate. I have also looked for God outside of the church. And if I'm honest, I found him. Or found her. Or found them. Or whatever pronoun we want to use, which really doesn't matter when we try to describe God. But it does matter. Because for thousands of years, we saw God as a white man. And spoiler alert, that didn't go too well. <laughs> Nevertheless, I have found God. I found God in a Buddhist temple in Atlanta, even though they wouldn't call him God. I found God in an ashram in Yogaville in Buckingham County. I found God in a winter solstice of Native American rituals in Kentucky. I find God in sunsets and in the laughter of babies and in puppies. I'm not too sure about cats. It's <laughs> a whole other thing. <laughs> And while I find God in all of these places, God is not exclusively in any of these places. Because in order to find God everywhere means we would have to be able to find God nowhere. So in other words, if God was in the space between my hands, then we would immediately recognize that it's limiting. And so God would also have to be on the peripheries and be in the hands and be in that space. But then even with that, God would have to transcend the space that's in between my hands as well as the hands. And then what happens is language becomes irrelevant. Thoughts and concepts and ideas become irrelevant when trying to describe God. And we do it all the time, right? Especially in the Episcopal Church, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have these concepts called the Trinity, which really don't make any sense. And our Jewish and our Muslim brothers understand this very well. It looks a lot like polytheism. And it's not supposed to make sense. God just is. There's a classical spiritual book called The Cloud of Unknowing. It was written anonymously either by a monk or by a, a priest. Obviously, nobody knows because it was anonymous. This was in the 14th century in England. And he's writing on contemplative prayer, and I'll, uh, I'll read something he wrote at length. Quote, you'll ask me who is God, and I can only answer, I don't know. Your question takes me into the very darkness and cloud of unknowing that I want you to enter. Through God's grace, our minds can explore, understand, and reflect on creation and even on God's work. But we can't think our way to God. I am willing to abandon everything that I know to love the one thing I cannot think. He can be loved, but not thought." End quote. I believe what he was trying to emphasize is that beyond all the ideas, understandings, and misunderstandings of God, love is very much present. One of the messages in Hosea, perhaps the message in Hosea, is the same message that can be found in the gospel. It's a message that says no matter what we do in our life, no matter what religion we have, no matter what choices we've made, no matter what sins we've done, there is a love that loves us unconditionally even if we don't recognize that love, even if we don't believe in God. 
that is why I'm becoming a priest, that core understanding that I need that understanding of love in a world that sometimes feels meaningless and seems like it's spiraling out of control. I also believe the message in Hosea is that God can be found in the most unexpected places and situations. I find this in my own life. I'm going to Virginia Seminary for Anglican studies. <laughs> Could you imagine if you're white going to a church for African studies to be the pastor at a predominantly black church, right? A little out of the comfort zone. <laughs> kind of makes me think God has a sense of humor, but sometimes we have to do things out of our comfort zone because that's the only way that things change. But you know what? It's not all about race for me. Answering this call has a lot to do with who I am as a person because I know myself. I know my struggles with addiction, with depression, with anxiety. So first I had to believe that I was even worthy of this call. And I'm worthy not because I'm a great speaker or because I'm good at chess <laughs> or that I'm holier than anybody else. God knows I'm not. But just because I am like everybody else, it's kind of like snowflakes, right? They're all unique, but at the end of the day, they're all snowflakes. And we're all unique in our own way, but we're all very much human. And that's my story, or at least part of it. What's your story? What's God calling you to? What's your passion? The thing that drives you? Why you feel you're even here? You know, when I was an evangelical minister, this was like in my 20s, and even a little bit when I was a Baptist, I used to think that being a minister was getting people to Jesus. I think that's some of it, but I think it's giving people a sense of meaning and purpose in life, and that transcends religion. Imagine someone going to Gandhi like, have you found Jesus? <laughs> no. Matter of fact, the people who were trying to bring Jesus to Ind India, right, it didn't go well. One of my, my favorite artists is Prince. When Prince performed at the Super Bowl, it literally rained during Purple Rain. <laughs> right? Like you could YouTube this. It was the first time it rained during a halftime Super Bowl show. When Prince died, the Eiffel Tower was lit purple. There were airlines flying with purple lights inside. And several hours after he died, there was literally a rainbow over his estate. Right? This isn't fake news. This happened. That transcends Christianity. That taps into something very real. I want to tap into that. Something that's undeniably beyond this world. Because I think that's where God is. But I also think God's inside of us. And that's what makes this world a beautiful place, even when it doesn't feel like it sometimes. I don't know how to end this, so I'm going to end on that note. Actually, I think I'm going to end with a prayer. Is that okay? God, thank you for this day, for this message. 
for this church. I pray that your spirit will continue to move within these walls, most importantly outside of these walls, that the voices that continue to come through these series will shed light, will give insight and foresight. Thank you for your love and for your blessings, and I pray blessings over this church, over the leadership, over the children, over every inch and part of it. I pray that your anointing will continue to flow smoothly, that your spirit will continue to flow smoothly. And when things get rough, as they inevitably do, that the church will remember its foundation is not in man, it's not in ego, it's not in self, it's not in the institution. Our foundation is not in the sand. It is in the rock. And for that, we thank you. Amen. To me and said, can we say a prayer over Anthony? Because he's about to head to Northern Virginia to continue his ordination studies. So would you join? That was a beautiful prayer. Thank you. We, we would like to add to it for you. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we bless and thank you for Anthony and for his spaciousness, for the space that he has shared from deep within himself, for the space that he has created for us to ponder, to receive, to listen for your call. Oh God, bless Anthony as he has blessed us and bless him even more. Walk with him in the mystery of your unknowing and carry him through this season and all the seasons to come. In your holy name we pray. Amen.